0: Take your copy of God's Word this morning and turn to Genesis chapter 3 Genesis chapter 3 as we'll look at verses 8 through 24 this morning As we uh, are about to draw this series to a close This series of confronting the issues of our culture of talking about Things that we see every day and things that we need to be confronting You know, I thought to myself as I came, you know, this very idea the very title there are consequences that may not be so appropriate or maybe You're a little apprehensive about that title the sunday after thanksgiving, right? I mean <laughs> There are consequences and all of us know it especially this day consequences in my life basically five pounds That's right Because of the thanksgiving feast You know, there are consequences in in all of our lives in For our actions and for what we say, there are consequences. But so often, our culture will reject that very premise, the idea that there are any consequences. It was illustrated perhaps best this morning. As we were getting ready at my house and we were getting a little bit of breakfast or so, uh, we were pouring some milk. And I found it to be the right moment to teach the moral lesson about waste and making sure that you're using what you have. So as they were pouring the milk, I said, okay, make sure that you don't pour too much. Milk is expensive. <laughs> they were like, what? I said, milk is expensive. The off-brand costs like $3.86. The I mean, you could go on. A, it's expensive. Don't waste. Ainsley looked at me and she said, but didn't you put it on the credit card, Dad? <laughs> I said, Yes, ma'am. But another lesson you put things on the credit card, but you still pay for those things. You just pay for them a little bit later. There are consequences consequences to our actions, consequences to the decisions that we make. And I think that's what we see here in Genesis as we've been working through. Genesis 1 through 3 We we've seen god build hopefully a worldview and who we are and we see today That god reminds us that there are consequences to our actions. There are consequences, especially for our sin This is the way the writer of genesis gives it to us beginning verse 8 It says and they heard the sound of the lord god walking in the garden in the cool of the day And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? Now, of course, we pick up in this narrative about Adam and Eve, and basically they're giving in to temptation. They're sin. And in that moment, when they had sinned, when they had fallen short of the glory of God, who was there but God himself? God walking in the garden. God coming to speak to his children. This is just like a good father who is coming to check on his children. And of course, he knows what has happened. He knows what has occurred. Some of you, you grew up with those kinds of parents, right? They knew what you had done before you had even done it. It was amazing how... It, they seemed to have eyes in the back of their heads and that they had eyes all over the community. Before you got home, they knew what had occurred. Maybe growing up here in Ruston or children or Simsboro, wherever you were, it was like they had this lifeline where they knew exactly what had happened. And we could stop here the rest of the time. And give testimony after testimony, right? About those parents that knew what had happened. Here God knew what had happened. He was the good father. He had come and he was seeking them. He was speaking to them. And he is confronting them. And here in this question, where are you? There is the convicting power of God. And notice he speaks to Adam, demonstrating again Adam's primary accountability and responsibility before God. He is seeking Adam, and he says, where are you? Have you ever noticed that in your spiritual life, in those moments where you have failed, for you as a Christian, you can hear that voice of God. You can sense the Holy Spirit's presence in your life. And sometimes it will be that kind of question, like, where are you? Whatever the question is, there's no doubt conviction comes in your heart and life. Now, as a believer, I've experienced that many different times. Certainly, I experienced the conviction of God when I was saved. I I recognized that I had fallen short of the glory of God. I recognized I needed him, and I came and accepted him as my Lord and Savior. I did that. But that wasn't the last time I experienced conviction in my life As a matter of fact more and more as a believer I see where I fall short of the glory of God and the Holy Spirit comes to convict me To speak to me that presence And I admit to you It is not always the most pleasant Experience when conviction comes into our lives But how blessed we are That God cares enough about us to convict us How blessed we are that God loves us so much that he'll come and he'll ask that question where are you here he comes to his children just this good father and he approaches them well in so many ways they also act like children even in their response even as they weigh the options of their accountability they play the childish game again look in verse 10 So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, That is God. Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. Notice here, there is blame all around. Blame all around. You know, God comes and he brings his convicting power upon Adam and Eve's life. And what do they do? They turn to the blame game. You hear it very clearly in Adam's response. Adam says, hey, that woman... Let me just give you a word of advice. You never want to begin a sentence with that woman. Okay? Okay? That is one of the most foolish things you will ever do. And it may... Well, it may affect the length of your life, right? (laughs) Don't do that. But Adam says, that woman, she's the one who gave it to me. He blames her. And then, notice this. He also blames God. These words, the words, the verbs, gave. Notice... The woman gave it to me, but you gave me her. You are the one that is ultimately responsible, God, because you're the one who gave her to me, and she is the one who turned around and gave me of this fruit. So he blames her. Well, what does she do? Verse 13 the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent. The serpent deceived me and I ate. So get this. She turns around and said, you want to talk about blame? The serpent is the one who came to me and he is the one who deceived me and that is the reason I ate. It's the old adage, the devil made me do it, right? It's the blame game. Now, when God's convicting power comes upon us, Oftentimes, what do we turn to as well? The blame game. We can talk about it being a childish game. And yes, we have seen our children play that game. And we, when we were children, we played that game. How many times did we point our fingers to our sister, who probably rightly deserved it, or our brothers? How many times did we do that? And now, once again, the conviction falls upon this place. Many of us did that Many of us have played that blame game before The problem is we don't grow out of it The problem is that even as adults We can still play The blame game Well, you know what I would do better in my job if it weren't for my boss My boss is just against me You know If my parents would have treated me better when I was growing up, I wouldn't be like I am now My brothers, my sisters, if they had only been my wife, if she would support me more in my job, I could have moved up in the company. If she would have been willing to move, I would have been something this day. My husband, if he wouldn't hold me back, I could do so much. Friends, we still play the blame game. But what I want to say to you today is that God calls us not to play the game, but he calls us to stand before him accountable and responsible for our actions and for what we have said and to recognize that we can have a right relationship with him. Even if there are consequences that are meted out to us, we can have a right relationship with him through the Lord Jesus Christ. The blame went around and the consequences Came. Verse 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, I don't know if I'd ever noticed. I, I guess I had, but I'd never noted it so much. The way there is this like turn of the structure, the chiastic type of structure, where basically he had started with the man, he had spoken to the woman, now he comes to the serpent, woman, man. Notice this again. It's kind of like the way he builds this accountability, this structure that's here. He comes to the serpent first. Then he'll come to the woman. Then he'll come to the man. What does that say to us? It says to us again that Adam was the one who, was, who had the primary role of leading his family and demonstrating obedience. Now, Eve was not absolved of her responsibility, But what you see here is the building of this case, even in the consequences, all the way up to speaking to Adam, who had the primary role of responsibility. Verse 14, the Lord God said to the serpent, though, he said, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his Heal. basically he looks at the serpent he said you will spend the rest of your time in creation on your belly now jewish believe jewish commentators have suggested that perhaps the serpent was a four-legged individual before this and 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 here it was cursed to crawl around and slither around I don't know if a snake would be scary with four legs or just on his belly, huh? I think a snake or serpent's kind of scary anyway. But don't forget that when God is pronouncing these consequences, though, he's not talking just to the creature. He is talking to Satan himself. And when you talk about this idea of the belly and the idea of eating this dust, what God is saying is, you will be humbled. This idea of licking the dust or eating the dust, it is found in Micah 717, Psalm 72, 9, and also Isaiah forty nine twenty three. All those passages speak to the humility of that individual that would lick the dust. And what God is saying to Satan himself is, you just don't worry about it. You will be humbled. Even in that verse 15, we're going to talk about verse 15 in a couple of weeks. So I'm not going to go into detail here today, but listen to, what, listen to what God says. God says, you know, serpent, you think you've succeeded here. You think you have triumphed here. But I want you to know that the seed of the woman will bring forth the victory, will demonstrate triumph over you. Yes, one day his foot will bruise your head. Just know that there are consequences to what you have done. To the woman, he looked and he said, There are consequences in two ways, I think. He says, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain, you shall bring forth children. So, first relates to childbearing. And he says, In pain, you will bring forth children. For those of you um, who have been there in the labor room you know it is a painful situation it is a difficult situation right ladies hey I'll testify if you don't want to testify I've been there in the labor room before with Hayes they had to give me oxygen the doctor (laughs) finally said take the oxygen off of her put it on him you think I'm kidding but I am kidding about knowing the pain He says, in childbirth, your pain will be multiplied. Your desire shall be for your husband. I discussed this a few weeks ago when we talked about gender roles. But I'm convinced there, as I've read this passage and as I've studied it, that it simply means your desire is is that you will rule over him, that you will try to reverse the role, the God-given roles. And what will happen then is he will turn and will rule over you. The idea is that he will dominate you. It is a distortion in the roles that we play. It is a fracture in the relationships. Because of this, because of this sin, we will have a struggle even in the marriage. There are consequences. And then to Adam he said... Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. He says... Cursed is the ground for your sake. Now again, work is not a product of the curse. Did you hear me say that this morning? There, were, there was a few weeks ago we, we spoke about work as worship and how work existed before the fall. Remember, God had said, Adam, you tend the garden. You take care of it. That was the work. Work is a good thing. But you know what he said here? He said, because of what you have done, that work will be much more laborious. It will be much more difficult for you. And you will, you will work, and you will work, and you will work. And you will experience, you will experience that tired, weary feeling. There will not be the rejuvenation of life. He says, as a matter of fact, he said, you will do that until you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. There's a sense of where physical death will be a reality for Adam because of sin. New Testament teaches us what? The wages of sin is death. He said, You'll die because of what has happened. And you see the irony. For dust you are, dust you'll return. Adam, that word means something like man. The word for dust is something like Adamah. Adam, you'll be Adamah, you'll be dust. You will die that will be the consequence for you and all humanity now let me say this everything that bad happens in our life is not a direct consequence of a specific sin in our life did you hear what I said people will come to me sometimes and they'll say why did this happen why did that happen is it because I did this or is it and you know what I say so often You're not surprised, are you? I I just say, I don't know. I'm not God. and, And I can't tell you the reason everything happens. But I do know this. Not everything bad that happens is because of a specific sin in my life. Why do I know that? Because of the ministry of Jesus. And the way Jesus spoke about those who had afflictions. It wasn't always because of the sin that they had had in their life. I will say this, though. Every difficult thing that we face today, every difficult thing is a result of the collective sin and its consequences upon who we are. The thorns, the thistles, creation itself was impacted. Remember? It was impacted. There was a consequence upon creation because of the fall. I was on vacation this week, experiencing beautiful outdoors, and it was awesome. But do you know what it would have been like if there had not been a fall? I mean, the beautiful creation we see, do you know how much more magnificent and majestic and beautiful it would be if sin had not marred it and scarred it? Everything has impacted us. There are consequences. Why are there consequences? Dr. Reggie, I I thought God is love. Yes, he is. But you don't forget as well that our God is holy. And he must hold accountable those actions of rebellion and transgression. He must. Because he's a holy God. Think of how illogical and inconsistent our culture is. It will clamor. It will clamor for something to be done. Consequences to come. When there's injustice or when there's violence, when there's pain, our culture will clamor for something to happen. My friends, God, our God is a holy God and he must hold us accountable. And here he held his own children, Adam and Eve, accountable. Ultimately, we know the consequence was not just physical death, but spiritual. Listen to this. Verse 21, Also for Adam and his wife the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden, and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Notice they were removed from the refreshing, reinvigorating tree of life. There's even here the idea that spiritual death would be a reality for those who have committed sin, unrepentant sin, in their lives <clears throat> friends there's still a consequence still a consequence for unrepentant sin in our lives why do, we, why do we give so much to the lighty moon Christmas offering I mean that's a lot of money right $140,000 hey that's a lot of money why, why, why couldn't we take that 140000 and apply it to different other areas of ministry? I mean, why would we want to give so much to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering? It is because we believe that there are consequences, severe consequences, for those with unrepentant sin in their life. For those who are apart from Jesus Christ, we believe that there are consequences to them. And the consequence eternally is separation from God. A place we call hell. Our churches don't talk about it quite as much. Our culture certainly doesn't speak of it. But my friend, it is a reality still, it is a consequence. Spiritual death is a consequence. Of our rebellion against him. Mr. Covington, my high school teacher, high school Bible teacher, he used to explain it this way. He said, you know, if you're born once, you die twice. You die physically, and you die spiritually. But if you're born twice, and Jesus Christ doesn't come... Before he calls you home, then you only die once, right? Hell is reality. John Piper said, even if I try to make the lake of fire or the fiery furnace a symbol, I am confronted with the terrifying thought that symbols are not overstatements, but understatements of reality. Jesus did not choose these pictures to tell us that hell is easy at all. Again, I tell you this this morning, not to scare you. I tell you this to sober you. That this is the reality, that there are consequences. There are consequences in our lives. And to be honest with you, I tell you this, for those of us who are believers in this place so that we can rejoice and celebrate like never before in the grace of God. Because the scripture teaches us that all of us, all of us were on a road to eternal separation from God. But Jesus Christ came. Isn't that what we're about to celebrate here at Christmas? Is that Jesus Christ came. We had heard the bad news about eternal separation. We had heard the difficult... Proclamation about what sin does and the consequences it brings. But at Christmas, we celebrate the good news that Jesus Christ came to do something about it. And he came to die on the cross for us, to take our punishment and to be resurrected in power. So that he could show his victory over death hell and the grave and today today because of my faith and trust in him I don't have to worry about a place called hell God has something that is prepared for me that is so much better and it is because of his grace It is because of his favor. It is because of his goodness to me And you and I today We should recognize the consequences of sin Especially unrepentant sin Those of us who are believers, we ought to celebrate afresh and new for what he's done. And for those in this place that's never given their life to Christ, my friend, today is the day. Today is the day of salvation. You come and give your heart and your life, and I promise you that God's word is faithful. And he will save you from your sins. And he will save you to service before him let's pray together father thank you for these moments and lord i can't help i can't help but believe today that satan's tried to disrupt this service i can't help but today think that satan has tried to keep this message from being spoken because there are people in this there are people in this sanctuary and in the gathering upstairs that need to be confronted with the reality of the consequences of our sin God there are some in this place today that need to experience the convicting power of the Holy Spirit for salvation purposes God, I pray that you would work in hearts and lives. I pray that today there are those who give their hearts to you, surrender their lives to you. And God, I pray for those of us who are believers that today we would rejoice like we haven't in so long because we've been reminded of how far you've brought us and the immeasurable grace you've provided. God, speak to us now. Help us as we respond during this moment of invitation. May you receive the glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.